Welcome back to Seeing Life from a Different Angle, episode number seven. I thought I'd start today by talking about one of my favorite stories. It is actually kind of a metaphor, I suppose, from Plato. I remember being a student at Virginia Tech and reading Plato and Socrates and didn't come across this at the time, but since then I have come across Plato's metaphor of the cave. And I think it could be really important for us to examine and explore because I think it goes beyond, as Plato intended, I'm sure, goes beyond the simple idea that lies behind it. But basically the, the story is this, is that there is this cave and in this cave, these individuals exist and they are controlled, for want of a better way to put it, by individuals who recognize that you know, this is the way life is or that this is the way we need life to be. Going back to what we had talked about in the very first episode, the idea of a myopic reality. But in this space, we have this group of individuals who are sitting on the ground. Behind them is this 10-foot wall. And behind the wall, there are individuals who are holding up, for want of a better word, puppets. And the puppets, behind the puppets and the people holding them, there is a fire. And so it casts a shadow from the fire through the puppets onto the wall. And these people see these shadows. And they assume that these shadows are truth. They are reality. They are what it is that individuals in their lives want them to see. That's the honest truth. But there was this brave soul who decided that she was going to step outside of this cave and to see if there was a world that lay outside. And so she takes the risk, a huge risk, something we have talked a lot about over the past many podcasts, the idea of just taking a risk and seeing what could be out there. And I'll get back to that in a moment. But she takes this risk, and in taking this risk, she realizes that there is a world out there that is so completely different than the cave in which she lives. And excited for her discovery, she goes back into the cave and goes to the people that are in front of the wall that are watching the shadows and believing them to be reality. And she says to them that there's so much more, that what you have come to believe is not so, that there is so much more outside of that. And they scoff at her. They don't believe her. How could they believe her? This is all they've ever known. And indeed, this is all that they're capable or willing to know. It is fear that holds them into that, in that place. And out of fear, they strike out at her and kill her. Because they're too afraid to believe that there is something more than what it is that they see. This week in my blog also entitled Seeing Life from a Different Angle, I talked about the idea of miracles and how we struggle with the notion of miracles because they seem to lie outside of the concepts of science and reason. And they don't really make much sense. We've been touched, all of us, at some points in time in our lives have been touched by something that seemed oddly miraculous, did not seem to make any sense, People we have loved have been cured of cancer or, you know, the world seemed to be, at least for a brief period of time, a quiet and peaceful place. And that seemed miraculous. 
you know, despite the unfortunate killings today in Michigan, you know, there were moments of peace in life, and those moments seem miraculous. And yet, they're tainted. They're tainted by two things. One is that they are tainted by the fact that they don't seem to make sense when it comes to science. And two is that they seem to challenge what it is that those in authority tell us. And so when we think about the metaphor of the cave, isn't that really what we're talking about? We have this one person brave enough to take a risk and step outside of this and say, there is something more here. And yet it is fear from authorities as well as fear from the people who have been raised to see life this way that keeps them from accepting this possibility. It reminds me of a note that one of my patients had given to me after the podcast about relationships and one of the things I had talked about. And in the following podcast, when I talked about which option would we choose of the four options that we have in terms of relating to other people, is that a patient said to me, you know, how do I, how do I have a relationship with someone who has hurt me time and time again? How do I have compassion for them when I know that by doing so, it will allow them to kind of stay in my life. I think that there is a good answer to this, but not the answer that you really want to hear. Because the answer is, they should be a part of your life. You know, like we know from Charles Dickens in The Christmas Carol, mankind has to be our business. It really does have to be our business. And it's not something we really like to hear. We are the people sitting on the ground, seeing the shadows of, you know, cast upon the wall, assuming that they are reality. And one of those shadows cast upon the wall is when somebody hurts you, eject them, reject them, push them away. And if they hurt you repeatedly, strike out at them. And that striking out can be physical or it can be mental. It can just be separation and distance, which is painful and detrimental to anyone because it just brings on a sense of complete aloneness and loneliness. But we're encouraged by the authorities to strike out at them, to say, you know, you're not my kind of person. You know, you, you see it every day. If you're driving to work, whether that's right now or any time, you're driving to work, look at that person to your left and that person to your right, the one in front of you, the one behind you. What are they doing? Are they thinking about what's going on in your life? Are they thinking about what you need? No. They're coming at it from a very subjective view that this is their life, you're in their way, and now they're angry and frustrated with you because you're not going the 80 miles an hour that they're expecting you to go because that's what they want to do. That's how quickly they want to get to where it is that they're going to the degree where they don't care whether it affects you in adverse ways or not. So what do we do? I mean, do we just accept the fact that these people are not people we want to have anything to do with in our lives? You know, that relative who seems to be always asking for money or, you know, the relative who says, you know, I've got problems with this or that, you know, drug or alcohol or, or relationship issues or whatever the case might be. Do we just push them away because time and again they've done the same thing you know, we've got the old axiom, you made your bed, now lie in it. 
But how cold, how cruel that really is when we think about it. You know, my wife is one of the most giving souls I've ever met. And she will give till it hurts and then give some more. And much like Mother Teresa said, you know, give and give and keep giving. And when you're done giving, give some more. And I think that, you know, we as human beings are better served. Society is better served by us working toward a connection with each other, not separation, not disconnection. You need to be, we all do, the little girl who comes back into the cave and says, there's a world out there that we don't know, a world that we've never seen. And we need to take the risk of stepping out into it to see what is there. Oddly enough, you know, I, I have really found myself very interested, fascinated, and devoted to the writings of C.S. Lewis of late. And I was fortunate enough to watch The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, which was the live action movie. I'm not sure who made it. It doesn't matter. But, you know, I was impressed and pleased by what it is that Lewis put into that book and how, you know, it is about being able to recognize that we don't have to stick with what it is we have always been taught, that there is not just the reality of what it is that other people seem to want us to believe, but that there is magic. There is something that goes beyond our reality and our perception of reality. And it is much like I talked about in, in the blog about miracles. You know, when we think about it, you know, looking at the person of Christ, you know, and he performed these miracles. And I was talking with my wife a couple weeks ago, and I said, you know, isn't it interesting to consider the possibility that these miracles are miracles to us because we live in that cave. We are blind to that world. But are they really miracles to Christ? Are they just a part of everyday life, a part of who he is, a part of who God is, is that he can do these things and it goes beyond our reason at the time because we are raised to see things in a particular way. We have that myopic reality. And as I've talked about, you know, the closest we have ever been to Christ is when we had a wide open reality, when we could see things differently and more clearly and more openly. And miracles make sense in that space. Everything makes sense in that space. And so when we think about going outside of this cave and trying to find a world or take the risk of finding that world, that is a part of that wide open reality. It's like in therapy, I would talk about the idea of that seven foot fence that surrounds us. It is always about trying to knock down a portion of that fence a little bit at a time taking these small risks of being able to say, you know, there is something more here for me, or perhaps there is. Maybe the thing that gets tossed into my yard that seems to be frightening and overwhelming to me, the little girl who comes back into the cave and says that there's a world out there, you know, instead of throwing it out of my fence, being honest and looking at it, instead of killing it and destroying it, taking the risk of looking at it and saying, that this is something, this is real. I can see it, I can feel it, I can sense it. And so there's something to it. 
And it's like the magic that Lewis talks about. It is about being able to recognize that there is something more than what it is that science or the authorities teach us. And it doesn't mean that what they teach us is necessarily bad, necessarily evil or unhealthy or unkind, though it can be. But I think what it is, is that we so readily grab onto these things because they ease our individual fears. They stop us from worrying so much about, you know, what it is that's going on in the world around us and instead say, okay, they told me this or they told me that. And so therefore I can be at peace because somebody's watching out for me. Somebody's taking care of me. This is what Freud talked about when he talked about us seeking out father and mother substitutes, in particular the father substitute, to say, okay, well, this person is going to, you know, be there for me, watch out for me, make sure everything is okay, make sure that I'll be fine, make sure that nobody will hurt me. But really, who is that person? In our world, in our society, they are the individuals who will say to us, you know, you need to kill that little girl who came into the cave and told you that there's something more because she's out of her mind. She doesn't know what she's talking about. She's trying to guide you in the wrong direction, to take you to a place that you shouldn't go. And when we think about it, you know, what is that other than robbing us of or pushing us farther and farther away from that wide open reality, the possibility that there is something more to us and to this world than what it is we're told we're allowed to have. When we think about the concept, and you know, when I talked to a former patient today, he was talking to me about you know, how he is seeking to become a man of the chest. Part of being a man of the chest, a person of the chest, is being able to say, you know, I recognize my reality, but I also recognize that there are other realities there are other spaces. Think about that point, though, how risky that really is, because it goes back to that idea that if we're going to think that there might be something more than us, that means that we have a choice to make. Do I stop at that moment, chastise and castigate myself for believing that there's something more? Or do I say to myself, if there is something more, am I ready to take the risk of seeing it? take the risk of opening my eyes to it. You know, we're coming upon the Advent season, the birth of Christ. And, you know, when we think about that birth and we think about this season, you know, it's not just about the preparation for who God is or when he was born. It's also about who he is now and who he will be in the future you know if we get so stuck in our notions about okay well advent is about christmas christmas was about the day jesus is born there we are all done thank you very much then we fail to really recognize what the story of christ is about you know not everybody i'm talking to or everybody that's listening to me will believe but i feel it's important to consider and open up the conversation about Christ, because he is such an important being in the world, you know, and not just a great teacher and not just a great prophet, but truly a part 
and parcel of God. And whether you believe in that or not, that's, that's your thought, your ideas, your feelings. But I hope in, by talking and then listening to it and thinking about it, that we can be like that little girl who steps outside the cave and says that maybe there is something more than what it is I've been taught. Maybe there's something more than what it is I believe. I had a patient years ago, a sweet lady, whose mother had passed away when she was five. And she had hated God since that period of time, because how could God take away her mother? And, you know, she had heard all the platitudes, you know, there's a better, she's in a better place. And not that that's not true, but she's in a better place now, and she's not suffering from cancer anymore. And it was very, very difficult for her to consider the possibility that, you know, that it was not God taking her mother away, but it was just her mother dying. You know, it's not necessarily so that God says, okay, well, I'm here to make sure that this person suffers or that person is blessed. You know, all of these things are a byproduct of the world within which we live. You know, we're going to get sick. We're going to die. People we love, animals we love, friends that we love, neighbors that we hate, whatever the case might be, every one of us, including ourselves, is going to die. And I think it is an interesting question to consider, you know, how did we live? You know, with this little girl, her mother lived fully, lived deeply as much as she could to take care of her five children and to love them deeply and passionately. And she, when she died, you know, felt close to God, you know, even though my patient ended up hating God because she felt robbed of her mother. You know, it is important for us to consider, as is true for all of us who have ever lost anyone, and there's no one I believe that can say they've not lost someone that they love or adore, myself included, that, you know, there is more than this world. There is something else that goes beyond it. And it is part of that wide open reality, that different perspective on life that allows us to recognize that there is more. Just like Advent is more than just, hey, here's this historical event that we celebrate 2,000 years later. It is also about where Christ is amongst us now. What is he doing through us now? You know, whether it is the beggar on the street who is saying, I am hopeless, you know, is that Christ? Maybe. But more importantly, I think it's this, is a Christ inside of us that says, I will take care of the poor whatever their reasoning might be, whatever it is that's going on in their lives, are we not supposed to be the Christ that says, I'm here to help you. I'm here to take care of you. The beggar doesn't have to be Christ, but we can be. And it's also about the Christ to come. You know, when there is a point in time when the world will come to an end, you know, are we going to be prepared and the only way we can really know that is how do we live our lives now? Do we allow ourselves to stay in this cave, to hide away from 
the good that life has, the connections that life can give us, the actual pleasures of life that come from connection? Or do we avoid those things because there are people in our lives who have ticked us off or pissed us off or, you know, taken advantage of us? You know, do we avoid the beggar who begs for money because we've been ripped off before and people we know have used that money to buy drugs or alcohol? Or do we live our lives by taking the risk and saying, you know, I want to give to another human being just because mankind is my business? I know that what I'm asking and encouraging is not easy. It's not easy for me. You know, I know that it's a difficult thing because it's not what we've been raised to think or feel or believe. And the authorities, just like in the cave, would have us believe that it is best to leave well enough alone and, you know, decrease the surplus population to steal a line from Charles Dickens. But if that's the case, then where has our humanity gone? Why have we decided that someone else is less than we are? Shouldn't we be willing to take the risk? It doesn't have to be a large one in the beginning. But taking the risk of stepping off the path that has been trodden by us and by millions and billions of other people throughout time, stepping off that path onto a healthier path, walking through that open door and saying to ourselves, there's something more here. I believe that there's something more here and I want that something more for my life and for those that love me, for those that matter to me. You know, we want to be able to look at those experiences and take in taking those risks, be able to say, I'm grabbing more a hold of life than what I've had before. And for those who are Christians to be able to say, I want to show the world that I am more Christ like through my actions. You know, our natural inclination, I've heard this a thousand times if I've heard it once, is, you know, I don't go to church because, you know, people leave church and then they get in their cars and they race out of the parking lot like bats out of hell. I won't deny it. You know, I wonder myself, you know, are you thinking about others as you rip through the parking lot? Are you thinking about others as you evade taxes? Are you thinking about others as you cut in front of somebody driving or cut in line in front of someone or, you know, take something from the supermarket that doesn't belong to you because, wow, they're a big corporation, so they should be fine. They'll, they'll recover. Do we do these things as Christians? Yes. But that's not being Christ-like. And isn't it our task, isn't it our risk to be the little girl who is a symbol of Christ? stepping outside into the wide open reality and saying that there is more here, that the angle that I've been seeing life from or the angle that all of us see life from isn't necessarily the only angle that there is, that we have to be willing to take the risk of seeing life from a different angle. The risk is easy in some ways. Sometimes it is just about going back to being childlike you know, Bruno Bettelheim, who was a psychoanalyst with children, he said, in order to talk to a child, you must remember what it was like to be a child. And in many ways, that's the first step. What was it like to be a child? I've got to go back to that place and try to remember. Because then and only then am I going to be free to live life more fully. 
to be happier, to be more joyous in my life. Thank you for being with me, and I wish you well. <laughs>